And now we're going to read through the scripture for the day, uh, which is Mark chapter 9, uh, verses 14 through 29, page 844 in the Red Pew Bible. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. It's the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good morning. Um, we're still working on <clears throat> our projector up top. It's uh, not functioning, as you can see. I was vetoed at our staff meeting because I really wanted an overhead where you kind of put a blank piece of paper and you just move it down with the words. <laughs> but how many of you use that when you're, like I want to see where the age cutoff is. When, when did they stop using that? No one is young that, they stopped using at your generation? Andrew, you missed out, man. Like, it would have been such a treat. And I wanted to put a felt board up here, like, a, like just, they didn't like my style. All right, let's pray. Lord, um, we come before you with the scriptures this morning, looking into them to see how you are going to speak to us, and I believe you are. And so, Lord, would you speak to each one here? Uh, may we hear your voice. May we be sensitive to where your spirit is leading in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last week, we Ended with the story of the transfiguration. Peter, James, and John are coming down this mountaintop experience, and they just witnessed what happened between Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. And so they're heading down the mountain <clears throat> to the other disciples. And like many other mountaintop experiences, when we head down the mountain, we head back to our stuff, right? We just head back to our stuff. And so you you go on vacation and you come back to work and you have to deal with your stuff. Like, we all have these experiences. Or you're like the women who are on retreat right now, um, about 25 of them, 
And my wife came back last night, and she came back to our household stuff. And so um, I tried my hardest to have everything clean, but it's just not as nice, but I tried. But it's no different for Jesus. He's coming down the mountain. These guys are coming down the mountain, and we find ourselves here in verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. Jesus comes down from this mountaintop experience to be instantly confronted with the scribes arguing with his other disciples that, that weren't with him or who weren't with him. And so these scribes were, were very well versed in the law. They, they taught the law. And here they were arguing with Jesus' disciples. Now, these scribes really had it out for Jesus and his followers uh, from very, very early on. They, they seemed to position themselves to wherever Jesus and his followers would be. They were very contentious. They were just antagonistically disagreeing with the things that Jesus taught and what he did and followers did. And so here's this scene of this great crowd that is there witnessing all of this argument happening and all this chaos and so here the disciples and scribes are arguing, and this man with his son who needs help is there, but no one is able to help them. I, I wonder how often we find ourselves in this type of scenario, especially as the church. You know, so much around us is happening, so much wrong around us is happening, and we have all of you and very many other people around, and oftentimes you just kind of stand and wonder, like, I can't do anything. All the education inequity, all the mass incarceration problems and the violence and the human trafficking and all these different things. And you're just like, man, I can't do anything. I also wonder how often we try to go about doing good without Jesus. That we're actually going out there and we're trying to just conjure stuff out of ourselves. And that's what's essentially happening here. That people trying to do things out of their own ability. Let's continue on, verse 16. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And this is what started the entire argument here. A spirit made the boy mute. So the father brought the boy to Jesus in hopes that the boy may be delivered from this spirit. But Jesus was up on the mountain. So the next best thing was Jesus' disciples to help the boy. But he finds out that they can't. They're no help at all. And this is what happened to the boy. Verse 18, whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able now, perhaps some of you read this and you kind of medically diagnose this and say, hey, that's just a seizure of some sort. But there is a difference between what is spiritual and what is medical. This has gotten some people with medical conditions in trouble because they've treated what is medical as a spiritual condition. And sometimes they can be both, but sometimes they're not. And there are many instances in the Bible when Jesus heals someone medically and it wasn't because of a spirit and you think about lepers or the man with a withered hand the hemorrhaging woman the sick and other times Jesus delivered people from spiritual oppression spiritual possession and like this man possessed by legion that was in Gennesaret or this boy and so we must practice discernment in matters like this and not neglect medical or spiritual care for an individual. And when we're in doubt, do both. 
right? What can it hurt? And so you go see a physician, and then you also come see the elders of the church to pray for deliverance. Do both. I think to go to extremes can be a dangerous thing. There are people who think everything bad has a spirit behind it. I don't know if you've met these people, but there's the overeating spirit, which I think I'm possessed by. <laughs> a spirit that makes you shop a lot. A spirit that causes baldness. Like, there's all sorts of different things. There's right? all sorts of spirits. Everything has a bad spirit. So you got to be careful where you sit in your house because you might sit there and then Netflix will turn on and then you will binge watch and you'll be like couch potato spirit, right? You'll, you'll get stuck <laughs> doing that. But then there's the other extreme, right, where, where, the, where people just don't believe that there's anything spiritual going on at all. So I'm going to quote the wise Esqueleto from Nacho Libre. <laughs> I don't believe in God. I believe in science. So everything is treated scientifically, medically, but there are so much that, there's so much that can't be answered through science and, and medicine, to treat what is spiritual with the physical, that just doesn't work, and, and it is a harmful disservice to an individual. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, the apostle Paul wrote, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We must not neglect what is spiritual. There are spiritual, dark spiritual forces that we battle against, but they aren't equally powerful to Jesus. Darkness does not have free reign. Satan and his demons were created. He is a fallen angel along with those who fell with him. God is the only one who self-exists. But the spirits of darkness, they can oppress and possess people to mislead them away from God. That's essentially what they do. They mislead people away from God. They seek to destroy the image of God in a person. Demonic spirits do not lead people to Jesus. They seek to destroy. Luke fills us in on some other details of this man and his son. Luke chapter 9, verse 38, Luke recorded this. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. So we're told that this is the man's only child. And this is a desperate plea from a parent for their child. Now somehow this man heard about Jesus doing similar things for people and their children, that Jesus healed other people who had spiritual oppression and possession. So they went out looking for Jesus, and he found Jesus' disciples who were of no help. Verse 19. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Do, do you get a sense of frustration from Jesus? That's, I think that's what's happening. They're like, oh, but Jesus is holy. There's no frustration. He can't experience that. Frustration is not a sin, right? So I think he experienced this. And we would all be frustrated also if we had this group who was following us and we've invested so much into them that they just don't understand whatever you're teaching them. Peter, James, and John were up on that mountain with Jesus. And the best idea that they had up there was to pitch tents. That was their best idea. Jesus comes down the mountain with those three to see the other nine arguing with the scribes, and they can't help this suffering boy. 
and it was probably pretty embarrassing for those disciples. Like, didn't we just do this? Like, Jesus sent us out, and we were, like, healing like crazy. And we can't even do this one kid right here. There's nine of us for this one kid. We can't even do this. What's going on? For any of you who have experience as a teacher or a coach or a mentor, a parent, counselor, friend, and you've told someone over and over and over again the same things, you know how frustrating it can be. I see a lot of parents smiling. I've never experienced that in my life. But you give the same information over and over and over again, and you're thinking, like, how many times do I have to say the same thing? Right? How much longer does this have to go on? How, how long will you keep doing the same thing? They couldn't help the boy. They just got into the argument, verse 20, and they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his <clears throat> father, <clears throat> excuse me, how long had this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. So this dark spirit recognized Jesus and sought to destroy this boy. And then we see Jesus' frustration move to compassion. Now you notice Jesus take a very personal interest in the boy when he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? You notice that Jesus isn't just mechanical and just kind of like, bring him over here, I'm just going to heal him, okay, go. Take two of these, call me in the morning, right? Like He's not prescriptive in how he deals with us. It's very personalized. He sees you, that you're not just a number to like deal with and then like, shoo, go away. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Now, some people would read this if you can statement and wonder why, was that supposed to be an exclamation point or was that supposed to be a question mark? Right here it says it's an exclamation point. And so this is not a question and the if actually was directed to the Father. Jesus was saying, if you can, if you can believe, all things are possible for one who believes. So the if you can wasn't about what Jesus can do. If you can is in regards to this man's belief. This father has a lack of faith in Jesus' ability to heal the boy. And Jesus is kind of redirecting this lack of faith in Jesus' ability to believe in who Jesus is. So it's not a question of Jesus' ability. It's a question of this man's humility to believe Jesus to be the Christ. There's a really neat story in 2 Kings chapter 5 about Naaman. I, I want to read this story to you. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 5. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of this leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord 
Thus, and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel, and the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which, which read, When this letter reaches, you know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God? to kill and to make alive, and this man sends word to me to cure a man of leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. So you see, Naaman would believe that there would be a cure if it was done a certain way. Right? So, so how many people put conditions on believing in God? You know, if God, if God would do this, then I'll believe. If God does that, then I'll believe. But, but we don't determine the conditions to believe in God because if we could do this, then aren't you God? You, you, you make all the conditions. You make all the, the, the ways that things will work. See, we don't determine Continuing on this story. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So in other words, how about you just kind of do what Elisha said? Just believe that. Do that. Believe what he said and do what he said. And why not? Just, just believe that. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Now you notice this phrase. He went down. You see, until we simply believe and we go down in humility, there, there is no healing. Until we surrender, we, we die to ourselves, there is no resurrection to a transformed life. In Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer was going to kill himself because this earthquake caused all the prison doors to be open. And so back then, if those prisoners left, you would be killed. So he figured he would just kill himself. But then Paul stopped him and told him, you know, we're all still here. Don't kill yourself. And then he asked Paul and Silas this in verse 30 of Acts 16. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, in verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe. Paul and Silas didn't have this list of things for this guy to do or a list of things for him to say. They just said, believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Yeah, believe, but what do I have to do? And people have asked Jesus this question before. John chapter 6, verses 28 and 29, John wrote, Then they said to him, What must we do 
to be doing the works of God. And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Now back to Mark chapter 9, verse 24. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. How many of us can relate to this? You know, we have a certain amount, but then there's also this certain amount of unbelief we have also. Now, of course, there, there, has, there was some faith, there was some belief from the father to believe that Jesus could heal this boy, otherwise he would have never brought the boy to Jesus. But the boy's father did have some unbelief too. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that the most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Jesus took him by the hand, and he lifted him up, and he arose. This is Jesus' specialty, right? Broken, dark, lifeless, and he gets to where you're at. He takes you by the hand and he lifts you up. All of us will experience death if uh, Jesus doesn't come back first. And those who believe in Jesus will experience this. We will rise. He did it himself, right? That, that's, that's what we'll celebrate next month in his resurrection. He arose, and he makes that possible for us. And he didn't just do it for this boy. He's also done it many other times. He did it for Jairus' daughter. You recall that story in Mark chapter 5, verse 41, and it also said in there that he took her by the hand, and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. He did this with a young man in Nain during the guy's funeral procession. Right, This is happening. He's already dead. He's already in the casket, and they're coming around. And, and after he saw the mother, who was a widow, weeping, Jesus said in Luke chapter 7, verse 14, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Jesus did this with Lazarus. Lazarus was dead for four days. Like his sister was like, Lord, he would stinketh, right? Like he, he's been in there for four days. And in John chapter 11, verse 43, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. I think he did it from afar because he didn't want to smell it. Like he was like, Lazarus, come out. So the man who had died came out, his hands and feet abound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. Belief. Belief. Jesus brings death to life. He brings light to darkness. He heals the broken. Jesus said in John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall yet live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Believe. One of the most famous verses in all of the Bible, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so this is for you if you can believe. 
And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. What does this verse tell us about what the disciples did or didn't do? They didn't pray. How many times have you found yourself trying to figure something out on your own and then someone helps you realize you never prayed about your circumstances or your situations that you find yourself in? You know, I find myself in this predicament pretty often and I'm a pastor. Like, this, is, this is what I do. And I pray a lot. I pray a lot. But I'll go to a meeting with my spiritual director and I'll tell her about something going on in my life and then she'll just ask me, so when you ask God about that, what do you hear? I'm like, oh, man, I hate when you ask that question. I just, I just hate. Because I have to confess, like, I didn't talk to him about that. I've just been, like, talking to me in my head. Or I've been talking to my friends or my spouse. Or, like, I've been just, I've been talking to other people, but I, I haven't been talking to God about it. And I'm actually pretty good about talking to God about stuff. I do it every day, a lot. But I neglect it at times. I remember getting so frustrated when I met uh, with a mentor of mine, uh, Dr. Bruce Beloyne. He's an Old Testament theology professor at Azusa Pacific, my, my alma mater. And so we met every Wednesday night at Wendy's in Diamond Bar at 6 p.m. Because my church was in Diamond Bar, and so right after I met with him, I'd go to church and do, do my stuff at church. And so I, I'd have questions for him all the time. And without fail, his first question to me was, so what did God say about that? I was like, man, if I knew, would I be talking to you? Like, you know, like, why, why meet on Wednesdays, Wendy's at Wednesday at 6 p.m. for you to buy me fries and a small Diet Coke and, like, talk about these? Like, if I knew, why would I talk to you? But I discovered how often I went to other people to deal with the things that I'm dealing with more so than bringing them to God and talking to God about it. It took me so long to break that that I'm still struggling with it right now. And I think this is kind of what happened with the disciples. You know, they're, they're leaning on their previous experiences. They're, they're leaning on what they knew. They're leaning on each other because before it was like just two of them. Hey, there was just two of us before and we did all this stuff. There's nine of us. We can do this. But they didn't lean on God. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. How often are we overconfident in ourselves or in our team or the people around us? How often do we leave God out of the things that we're doing? Here's a really disappointing thing. There are a lot of churches that don't need God to do church. There are a lot of churches here that are doing amazing works, but they don't even need God to do the amazing work. They're just doing whatever they want without God. So the outreaches, the programs, the services, the development, the advocacy, the organizing, all these really, really good things, but God is left out. I know, because I've been a part of so many Christian works in the Bay Area, and I just don't do it anymore. I'm taking a break from all of it. I've stopped all of it. And I love those people. I love their fight for injustice. I love them for the causes they fight against. Here's the thing. I'm a pastor. I want to see the dead raised. I, I don't want this little small stuff. 
I want the big stuff. And I want to see people who are broken healed, people who are in darkness come into light, people who are blind for them to see. We are the church. So there's some frustration on my end to see people doing things without God. Because just join the civic organization. They're doing it better than we are. Go join a philanthropic organization. Go join an organization that's doing it way better than we are. Because you're leaving God out of it anyway. It doesn't matter. That's something that I really appreciate about our justice team that has been assembling here when they started the Lenten service or Lenten devotional. It was very prayerful. And the team that was... uh, uh, that came up with that. They're very prayerful about what they're doing, and even after the Lenten series is done, they're entering it very prayerfully. Because you question, like, hey, well, how come we can't do that? And Jesus is like, because you didn't pray. So I'm very appreciative of our team and our church's desire to move forward like that. In Mark chapter 6, verse 7, Jesus called the twelve. And began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Now you skip down to verse 12 and 13 of Mark 6. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. You see that they did all of this before. They did all of this in Mark 6. Now you look at verse 30 of Mark 9. The apostles returned to Jesus. Oh no, sorry. Verse 30 of Mark 6. And the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. They did a lot. But then you look at 9. Mark 9. They couldn't heal one boy. Didn't pray. See, God was taken out of their equation. They thought, you know, we've done this before. Back in Mark 6, we did this before. We did this when there was just two of us. Now there's nine of us. We did this before. God does the miraculous, not us. But you know, we we fool ourselves into thinking that we're more capable than we really are, neglecting prayer, which aligns us to the will of God. That self-reliance, that overconfidence in oneself, that pride in oneself, it leads to powerlessness. It leads to a finite result that is limited by our own resources and by our our own abilities. It doesn't allow for a further expansion of that. The power of God is not within our control and it is not at our disposal. We don't have it without God. And just because we had it once does not mean that we always have it. The disciples had it in Mark 6, but they don't have it in Mark 9. And their belief was on Jesus in Mark 6. And in verse 9, their belief is in themselves. And perhaps a belief in a very good work and a desire and a really good intent to heal a boy. But, But it wasn't Jesus. Jesus was not the focus. Now how often do we struggle with things when all the while... Jesus invites us to bring whatever we have to him. Now, who's going to do any better than Jesus himself? As the worship team comes up, and we're going to have people up here to be available to pray with you. Uh, We're going to ask the elders to come up and 
be here and they're going to be available to pray for you. Part of it is I know that all of you believe because you're here. You have some element of belief. But it's the part of the unbelief that we're going to pray with you about. So if there's this element of unbelief, we want to make that available to you and for our elders to pray for you. At the same time, um, we do have communion going on, and so the, we usually have four stations that are right up front here, but we've moved two of them to the back and then two of them to the side, so you can still take communion at this time. Um, but we are going to have elders up front to be available for prayer for you. Now, here's another thing. Easter's in about a month. Um, this church has done amazing stuff. We just had an annual meeting uh, a week ago, and there was really wonderful testimonies being shared about what God did. A lot of Mark 6 stuff. And so Easter's coming up in about a month, and don't want to turn out to be like Mark 9. We're just doing stuff on our own. And have you, you guys have all heard about Christers, right? Is that the right term? Yeah, Christers. Christers are the folks that only come at Christmas and at Easter. We get a fair amount of them. We, we do. That's why we're going to open up the balcony for that service, um, because we get a fair amount of Christers. We're going to pray for all the Christers. And we're going to pray for the other folks. We're going to pray that we remain Mark 6 so that we're just not doing it out of our own abilities. And we want to be praying for whoever you have in your mind that your heart just goes out to them and you want them to meet Jesus. And so we want to have that time open for you to pray also. So everyone who's in the front pew is really, really open to praying with you and would be honored to pray with you.